appreciate it. Thank you, Brother Corey. Thank you, uh, ladies. I appreciate the work that these ladies put into the music program here as well. So grateful for that. Hebrews chapter 4 is where I want you to turn. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. A lot of uh, crazy things going on in the world today, isn't there? And uh, you just watch the news for a few minutes and you're thinking, what just happened? I mean, I woke up this morning and found out that uh, North Korea is launching uh, missiles. And uh, I don't know if you heard this morning, they uh, it registered a 6.3 on the earthquake Richter scale uh, this morning. And, uh, and so early this morning, uh, we knew that they had launched something and testing again. But they're at the place where they're capable of now putting a missile that can be aimed at the United States and launched at the United States. And it's powerful enough that it can do a great deal of damage. So somebody's supplying them with what they need because, uh, you know, we know that all that crazy stuff can only take place. They've got to have money to do it. And, of course, he doesn't care about his people that much uh, because he'll just take everything he needs and invest it in the military and let his people die. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on over there. It's crazy. You pick up the newspaper. I can't hardly watch the news. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> How many of you just have a hard time even watching it now, you know? And uh, just really, really difficult. And, uh, but I thank God every day. And I want you to write this verse down. I keep saying this, but I just want you to write this down. In, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, very powerful verse. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Amen. No matter what's going on around us, God's in control of all things. And so he knows everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, even uh, down in Texas, you know, he knows what's going on. Amen. And uh, in the end, and all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. For them he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be more conformed to the image of his son. Amen. And so sometimes hard times come and we don't understand those things, but God's always at work. Amen. His hand is not off of anything. It's on everything. And so great, great Savior that we serve. Uh, I want to talk about diligent effort this morning, diligent effort. Uh, Brother Chris, I've been following the Browns, not because I want to become a fan. I just want to find out if they're actually going to be any good this year. And, uh, and so, amen, they won four preseason games. Amen. And uh, they won all four of their preseason games. And you look at the Patriots who won the Super Bowl last year, and they're one and three in the preseason. You know, and so you think, well, they just didn't put as much effort into what they're doing. The Browns have something to prove. The Patriots have nothing to prove, right? They did it already, so they're just going to have to do it again. But you ever watch these guys uh, practice or you watch what's happening? Man, the effort that they put into what they do and the time. Can you imagine the amount of time someone invests in being an athlete? I mean, a professional athlete. You know, in our mind, we're looking and we say, well, there's 32 teams and, you know, there's rosters of 53 and, you know, that's a lot of people. And, and then, you know, the coaches and all that kind of stuff, a lot of staff. There's very few people make it in professional athletes as professional athletes. Very few people. And you may say, but man, this kid, you know, he's so good in high school. Yes, but he's a dime a dozen when it comes to maybe the NFL or the NBA, right? You look at a professional sports, Major League Baseball. I, I knew kids that I played baseball with. I thought, man, that guy's going to be a pro. And, I mean, he practiced and practiced and practiced and never made it beyond high school baseball. Didn't even get picked for college teams at times. And I'm talking about not, you know, AAA schools or, you know, double-A uh, schools. I mean, these are just some small schools in the area didn't even pick them. They weren't good enough to get on the team there. And yet we see the effort that people put into sports and, and try to do those things. Every parent believes that their child's going to make it, don't they? They just do. They think their child's going to be that one. And I look at what God teaches us in the Scriptures, and He talks about 
some diligent effort, putting forth some effort and putting forth effort into your Christian life. If you're going to be good at anything, you have to put in some time, don't you? Uh, Brother Corey, uh, I heard you practice that song multiple times this week, right? Why? Because when it came to the time to do it, you wanted to be able to do it well, right? So all of you heard it maybe for the first time this morning. I've heard it many times this week being sung in this auditorium. Why? Because he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced because he wanted to be able to come in here and sing this morning and to do it uh, without mistake and, and, and to really honor God with what he's doing this morning. He put forth some diligent effort to make sure that that occurred. Amen? Now, as I put this message together, I want you to look at verses 11 through 13. These are some very, very powerful verses. God talks to us in these passages about the cure for unbelief in our life as a Christian. And there are a lot of us that are sitting in this room that believe, but, you know, even as the uh, gentleman said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, right? Help me with the things that I'm struggling with. And you say, well, you're the preacher. You believe everything the Bible says. And I say, Lord, help me with my unbelief sometimes. I believe God wants people to get saved, but sometimes my unbelief will cause me to hesitate to knock on a door. (laughs) It'll cause me to hesitate to hand out a track. Uh, it, it, it may cause me to hesitate to do something which I know my God is capable of accomplishing. And so, Lord, help me to be diligent in my efforts to please you. And so as we look at these passages, let's all stand and honor the reading of the Word of God, if you can, this morning. Let's stand. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, and we'll read on through verse 13. The Bible says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, help us as we go into this message. Help us to be even diligent in our effort to listen and pay attention and to to take in what your word has to say to us. May you encourage hearts this morning, Lord, help us to realize what a wonderful Savior we have. Lord, how you've given us the strength and the power that we need to accomplish your will each and every day. Now, Father, empty me as self, fill me with your spirit. Use your word in a great way to encourage the hearts that are here. And Father, we want to lift you up. And Lord, we do say, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. All things are in your hands and in your control, Lord, but help us to be faithful Christians. Help us, Lord, to do our part. Help us to put forth that diligent effort to make sure that what we do in our lives from day to day pleases our Savior. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Ask if there's one here, Lord, that has not trusted Christ as Savior, that today they would trust Jesus Christ to take their soul to heaven. Lord, those that are saved, Lord, challenge us this morning and help us to see that the Word of God is alive, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, help us this morning to see these truths and to apply them to our lives, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I look at this, and the Lord has offered rest to every believer today, but unbelief can often deter you from following after that rest. And so God teaches us in the Scriptures that there's a rest that's offered to us. Now, I've preached messages on this already, And I got to thinking, I preached a message to us about Christ as the master builder of the Christian life. And so, as as the master builder, you have the privilege of a more faithful, more worthy, more hopeful, 
Savior, Christ, than anybody. Uh, there are people that are following after so many things today, folks, and following after things in the world and following after false religions. And there are people that are saying that we don't need to meet like this in an organized fashion. And, and, and what's the purpose of this anymore? And why are we doing these things? And, 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 you know, why are you out handing out tickets for God? And why are you trying to do those kinds of things? And the bottom line is, is that the good news, the gospel, will change their thinking. Amen? That's what it's going to take. Uh, so we continue to do it. And, and as I look at this, as the captain of our salvation, he experienced death for all men. Amen? Even men that do not believe, he experienced death for them. So we go out and we hand out these uh, uh, information packets or we hand out tracts or we uh, share the gospel with people. Why? Because God, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for all men. Amen? And even those that don't believe, he, he died for their sin. And, and so we look at this, and he experienced death for all men. And what does that do? Well, it provides access to God for us. He provides access to God for you. He opened that window. He opened that door back up, and he now provides access to God. And he is faithful. Faithful in what way? Well, we talked last week about go and sin no more. And so he is faithful to keep you from sin. He can keep you from doing those things that go against God's word or go against God's standard. You know, the Bible tells us he's the captain of our salvation. And listen, you put forth diligent effort. And here's why I say that. I shared a message with you out of here about not slipping. Don't slip in your Christian life. And we need to be careful because you can slip pretty easily. It doesn't take long to get away from God. In a heartbeat, you can walk away from God. In a heartbeat, you can slip away. And what does it take? Well, it takes some diligent effort. If you want to be good at something, good at your uh, job or good at a task or good at a sport or good at something, you put forth effort so that you become good at it. Uh, Connor, uh, as of late, I mean, he's been playing the violin pretty consistently. He's been playing the guitar pretty consistently. He's been playing the piano consistently. And what I'm noticing about my son is he's getting better. He's getting better at those instruments. And, and, and what it is is that he's getting better because he's putting forth some effort. He's starting to practice. And part of your Christian life is, is you have to practice the truth of the Word of God. Knowing something and doing it's two different things. Amen? I can walk in Brother Corey's office, and I have many a times, and I just want to take his guitar off the wall and start playing the guitar. Now, I played when I was young, and I have an ability to play the guitar, but I, I, I just told him the other day, I picked up the guitar, and I can barely move my fingers like I used to. And trying to get from note to note, and I'm listening to Connor play now, and his fingers are just flowing like crazy. You know why? He's practicing. Guess what I'm not doing? I'm not practicing anymore. And so when I try to touch them strings and I try to touch them, I told Corey, I said, even the tips of my fingers are hurting now. He goes, yeah, because you got to practice, Pastor. you got to keep doing it if you want to get better at it, right? And so even when you know how to do something. Now, I'm 52 years old, and uh, I know how to ride a bicycle, but I got on a bicycle the other day, and I found out if you don't ride your bicycle often, you kind of forget a little bit about some things, amen? Balance is very important on a bicycle, Amen. And so, you know, to just jump on a bike and go do that thing, and you say, oh, I can do this, you know, I've ridden a bike all my life, and to jump on it, and the, whoa, wait a minute here. <laughs> you know, swaying the bike back and forth when I was a kid, and riding it up along the curb, and going up on the bank, and I, no, I wouldn't do that right now. <laughs> I'm just fearful of, uh, you know, the teeter-totter thing. It's not going to happen there. It's just going to totter, right? And uh, it's not going to go back this time. But what it is, is you put forth diligent effort. Do not slip away from God, neglecting your salvation and resisting the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. What happens is, as we as believers, what starts to happen is we become calloused. How many of you know what a callous is? Amen? 
Uh, I, I worked in the tobacco fields when I was growing up, and, and at age 14, 15, 16, and believe it or not, they sent me to Connecticut as a school program, and, and we would go up to the uh, area of Connecticut and, and in Massachusetts, and we'd go up there and pick tobacco for the Colbro Tobacco Company, was it was. They made White Owl cigars and Chattanooga Chew, and I thought Chattanooga Chew came out of Tennessee. Here it came out of Connecticut. Didn't even know that, right? And the thing of it is, is that we would go out, and I remember when my first year when I went up there, we used to have baskets that we would drag, and we had something called a dragging hook. And the dragging hook was basically a heavy-duty piece of wire that had a bend on the end of it so you could hook the basket. But in there, these were all handmade, and what they did is they took a piece of rubber hose to put on the, uh, on the end there as the handle. So the wire went through that piece of rubber hose, and you'd grab that, and so you had a dragging hook, and you'd just hook those things. Now, what started to happen to me is this. When we would go out, we would take that dragon hook, and I'm a right-handed guy, so guess where I got most of my calluses? Right here on this right hand. Now, what happened before that is I got some blisters. Anybody ever get blisters? Huh? From doing something, and then all of a sudden, I had those blisters, and I'm thinking, man, it was hard to grab a hold of that, so I started using my left hand to drag the thing out. Guess what happened to my left hand? started to get blisters. While these were blistering, these finished blistering, and then I started to get what, folks? Calluses. You know what happens when you get calluses? You get hard. They get hard. Guess what doesn't matter anymore? I can grab that dragon hook, and I could start pulling that basket, and guess what happened to this right hand? It never bothered me anymore the whole time I was there. We'd go up at the uh, end of the school year and wouldn't come back until the start of the new school year, and we'd be up there all summer, and uh, we would do everything from when the plants were like this high till they were busting through the nets. And by the way, they used to put nets over top of these things. So the fields were covered in these nets. (laughs) And so when I was out there and I'd get these calluses on my hand, it got to the place, and I'm not recommending this to anybody, to the place where I could take a, a cigarette lighter, a big cigarette lighter, and hold it there to the callus, and it wouldn't even burn. It didn't hurt anymore. There was no more pain. Nothing bothered it. (laughs) And what happens to us as Christians is this. We can get hardened in our hearts that way toward God. We can say that, well, you know, I know, I know, I know, I know, and not do. And you become hardened in your hearts toward God. You become calloused is the idea. Now, here's the thing. You put forth diligent efforts so you don't slip by neglecting your salvation and resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you become calloused, you know it says that, but don't really care anymore. Just kind of sit back and, yeah, I know it says that. But what a superior Savior we serve. Amen? What a great God we serve. When I began to think about the God that we serve, He's provided us a position in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He, he provides you the power to live this life. And you know, folks, as believers, Christ ought to be honored in your life. He ought to be lifted up. He ought to be glorified all the time. And I began to think about not only is He to be honored, especially by all of us who are saved, but He's more than just a name. He is a name that's above all names. Amen? He ought to be a name that's revered and honored by you. Now, if you don't do that, what happens is you become calloused. What's the need? What's the reason? What's the purpose? Why should I do that? And you'll become calloused in your ways. And so it becomes hard to the point where it has to be shattered at some point. You know, Hosea, uh, you go in and you read the book of Hosea, and God comes to him at one point. He says, listen, it's time to break up that fallow ground. Now, Brother Chris is a farmer. He knows exactly what that means. 
at the end of a season, after the end of the harvest, and, and that thing's gone through a winter, and it's set all winter, and now comes this time in the spring to do this again. If he just goes out and tries the plant, that's probably not going to work out too well. You've got to break that ground up to get it turned up, don't you, brother? And so you have to turn it up. You have to turn up that, that ground. It's hard now, so you have to turn the ground up, don't you? If you just go out and throw seed and hope for the best, right? Is that how you do it, brother? You just go out and you just throw it out there and say, man, I just hope this works out. No, but he goes through and he methodically looks at things and he says, I'm going to plant the rows this way and I'm going to plant them this far apart and, and, and I'm going to plant the seeds and the plants are going to be a certain length apart. See, there's a plan going into that because he wants a good harvest, right? And so to do that, you've got to put forth some diligent effort. You don't go out in September hoping that you got a good harvest when you didn't do anything in the spring, right? So you don't go out and say, well, gee, I hope this works out, because it's not going to. you got to put forth some effort. And so when I look at this, our superior Savior has given us this power. He wants us to revere Him and honor Him, especially those of us that are saved. And listen, He has a name that's above all names, so we should strive and put forth some diligent effort to honor His glorious name. And you say, for what reason? Because there's a season that will come. And there's a time that we can harvest. (laughs) And so as we put forth His name, and and we do the parts that we should be doing, and we're breaking up that fallow ground in our own lives, there'll come a season of harvest, right? And so we honor our Savior. We put forth that diligent effort, lifting up His name. And think about it as we strive and put forth that diligent effort, His glorious name as the eyes of the Lord are upon all, and nothing's hidden from Him. Nothing's hidden from God. (laughs) He knows the attitude of our hearts. He knows the spirit in which we go about things. Nothing's hidden from Him. He knows whether you are really honoring Him or you're doing it for your own sake even. But God knows. So here's the challenge. Do you put forth diligent effort to make sure your testimony for Christ testifies of Him? (laughs) Are you putting forth that diligent effort to make sure that your testimony testifies of Him? And I want you to consider this this morning. Your life and the study of His Word and your lifestyle should be of such a nature that it testifies of Christ and it draws men unto Him. Now, there are three obligations placed upon us as believers here. We see these obligations, and one of the things that He talks to us about is this. He tells us to be diligent in our Christian life. He said, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. He's telling us to be diligent in what we're doing. You see, you've entered into the rest through salvation, so if you're saved this morning, say amen. Amen. So you've entered into that rest. Now, here's what he says. Now, put forth diligent effort to enter into that rest daily, to be with me. Now, it's not that you get saved over and over again, but that rest that he's offering you is the rest that you can have in him. You see, that's putting forth that that diligent effort, that, that's allowing yourself to keep pulling that dragging hook. And, and, and the idea is, is not to allow the calluses to get so hard that God can't get through anymore. <laughs> what God wants to do is He wants to get through to you. So to stay soft and malleable, useful, <laughs> clay, <laughs> so that the potter can mold you, you need to be in His Word. You need to be walking with God. Be diligent in your study of His Word, and then be diligent in your ways before Christ. Now, you be diligent in your Christian life. To be diligent in your experience, to enter into the rest you've already entered in through, through your salvation, make every effort to have a life through Christ Jesus that, that glorifies Him. 
And what God's doing is the work in your life, because you're saved, the work in your life hasn't stopped in Christ. What he says is that he will perform a work in you until the day he comes back. And he tells us to be confident in that fact that he begun a good work in you and he's going to finish that work in you. And what we ought to do is make every effort to make sure that we're doing everything we can to please him and to make it a lot easier in our lives to be molded and shaped. Amen? And as we look to Christ, there is a cure for this unbelief. Now, here's the thing. You can hear my voice. You can hear my preaching. You can hear what I'm saying to you this morning. And you can say, I hear you, but it's not enough to hear. It has to be important that you put things into action, that you do something about what you're hearing. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to tell us? I'm telling you that God's Word is alive. Amen? It's effective. It's operative. And it works. And what we have to do is put forth some effort. The cure for this unbelief is to be diligent and pursue the truth of God's Word. Live by these principles. Listen, if you want the power of Christ on your life, you have to live the truths that are in the Scriptures. You can't just hear them and not do them. You have to do them. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people believe... Being hearers only is deceiving our own selves. Scriptural, right? But sometimes we're doing and not really believing even what we're doing. That's a problem. To just be a doer and not a believer doesn't help you either. You see, to be hearers of the word is deceiving our own selves. If we're just hearing it and not doing anything about it, it's a problem. But if we're just going about doing things and not really believing about what God's word says, that's a problem too. And what you have to do is you have to mix what you're doing with faith. Amen? You have to mix what you're doing with belief. And so God tells us, listen, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. That doesn't even make sense. Labor to enter into rest? (laughs) What he's telling us is this. If we're doing it through Christ, (laughs) boy, you're not even going to get tired. You'll get physically tired, but God will help you stay spiritually strong in those times. Now, as I look to the Word of God, our fear as a Christian, and the reason for the rejection of the spiritual truth is because we have a fear of legalism. Well, preacher, if I, if I just do everything God's Word says, man, we're like a bunch of legalists. You know, that's not true. <laughs> Doing God's Word doesn't make you a legalist. Doing God's Word makes you an obedient child of God. Amen. Uh, And because I do his word doesn't make me a legalist. Now, the idea is is that sometimes we get to this place, some believe that spiritual discipline means putting yourself back under the law by these excessive amount of rules, and we have to follow all these rules, and and we try to place ourselves under those things, and, and that's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve is a God of grace and a God of mercy, amen? He's a God that gives us opportunity and gives us chance, He's a God that lets us grow, and He does teach us, and He does train us, and He does convict us, amen? And and so we have a God that we serve, and when I look at this God that we serve, what He tells us is, listen, it's just not a bunch of harsh and severe rules that you have to follow. I want a loving relationship with you, amen? That's the God that we serve. You know, no one and nothing could be farther from the truth if you understand what discipline and legalism are and the difference in the motivation. Do you understand that legalism is really self-centered? It's very self-centered. Being a legalist is self-centered. Being a legalist has this idea to it, I will do this thing to gain the merit of God. That's a terrible thought. I can't gain any more merit with God. I can please God with my life, amen, but I'm not gaining any more merit with God. 
And, and what happens is, is we set up these rules and these structures and we say we have to follow all these things. Now listen, are there laws in God's Word? Yes, but I follow them because I love Him. I do them because I care about my Savior. I do them because He loves me and I love Him. And it's not just a set of rules of these severe, harsh rules that we must follow. Discipline is God-centered. Legalism is self-centered. What's the difference between legalism and discipline? (laughs) Discipline has this idea. I will do this thing because I love God and I want to please my Savior. That's why I do it. Not just harsh, excessive rules. It has to do with whom He is. (laughs) And I want to follow Him. Now, there is a big difference between the motivation of legalism and and discipline. I, I think Paul knew this and he fought legalists. All the way across Asia Minor, he's, he's dealing with this subject matter. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. The Bible says, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise is profitable little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having a promise of a life that now is and that which is to come. Some of us really work hard on our physique, on our bodies, and we want to take care of ourselves physically. Nothing wrong with that. But do you put forth as much diligent effort into God's Word as you do your physical physique, as you do those things, you think about it for just a moment. There are a lot of people that their body is their temple. It is theirs. It's not God's. And they treat their body like a temple in that sense to the point where it's all about them. And the reality is, is that bodily exercise that profiteth what? Little. We're only going to be here for a short time. Now, God did not say, don't exercise and don't take care of yourself. God never said that. He did tell us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our body and our spirits, which are God's. He did tell us to take care of the temple at which he, he houses. But the reality is, is to invest more time in physical exercise than you do in spiritual exercise. God said, that's a problem. And so what it is, is we're talking about this discipline. If you confuse legalism and discipline, you'll always be frustrated as a Christian. And truly, it'll lead you down a path of spiritual death because you're always just trying to be self-centered and self-focused. Discipline has this idea. I'm going to do this because I love God. I'm going to complete this because I love the Lord. Legalism is, I'm gaining so much merit with God. In fact, I'm keeping track of it. I know what I've done for God. Do you know what I've done for God? You see, when you're tracking your life that way, we're misdirected. And Satan likes that, but put forth diligent effort. Discipline is not legalism. Knowing the Word of God and following through on the truth because you love the Lord and want to please Him. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> my dad, when we were growing up, we all had tasks around the house. And, you know, you got 10 kids, you got a lot going on. Am I right? You got 10 kids, you got a lot going on. And, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a softball team <laughs> at the house. And so, you know, you got a lot going on. But I remember at one point, I had a young lady that I was interested in, and, and I was going to take her out on a date. And my dad came to me and he said, Bob, I told you I want that basement cleaned up. Dad, can I do it? He said, no, I want it done today, now. I want to get it done. But, uh, Okay. And I remember I went down there and I said, man, I'm getting up early, brother, because I, I want to go out. Man, when I get done, you're going to eat off this floor. I took everything, Brother Darrell, out of that garage, man. I took it all outside. 
I swept the floor. I went in there and I sprayed the hose on the floor. And I took a squeegee and took everything out of there, man. I cleaned it all up and I put all the tools back where they're supposed to be. I did all of those things. Because I wanted to go on a date, not that I wanted to please my dad. Right? So I go upstairs and I'm in the shower and I'm thinking, whew, still got time. <laughs> I'm going to get out of here. I remember being in the shower. I'm hurrying up trying to get ready and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm getting out of the shower and my dad says, did you clean up that garage? I said, yeah, dad, go down and look. He come back upstairs and he said, you need to go back down there and clean it again. What? I went back downstairs and I'm looking around. I'm like, what in the world, man? I took a broom and I kind of wiped the walls off a little bit. I thought maybe cobwebs or something down in the basement. Something was wrong. I'm looking around, looking around, looking around. I can't really figure out what's wrong. And I go back upstairs and he goes downstairs and he comes back up and he says, you still haven't finished that basement yet. You know what my dad was trying to put in my life? Discipline. Me, I had something else in mind. I was going, so I was going to have fun. And so finally, he takes me downstairs, and my dad was this methodic. On the wall, he had there, and he had the outline of all his tools, and all the tools hung up on that wall. And there was one tool that wasn't hung up. I was sitting on the end of a workbench, and I didn't catch it. For whatever reason, I just didn't see it. The time has now passed. I had already made the phone call, told her I wasn't going to be there. And I'm downstairs. I'm kind of meandering around. My dad came over and he says, I want to show you something, son. And he took me over and he showed me where it was. And he brought me over and showed me there was a place for it on the wall. I was so mad. I was so fired up. <laughs> but my dad told me that night, son, I love you. And you need to have some discipline in your life. Life isn't always about having fun, right? And sometimes you have to put forth some diligent effort. Now I walked around down there like a fool, <laughs> not even thinking to look up on that wall to see that because I had something I wanted to do. By the way, sometimes God's working in your life and you have something you want to do, and God's working in your life and he's going to discipline you until you get it. <laughs> Amen? Until you figure out he's in control and not you. My dad was in control of that house, amen? And dad knew that he had to bring this into my life so that there was something missing in my life, and dad said it has to be there. Diligence in the Christian life requires discipline in you. And if you're going to do well at anything in life, you've got to put forth effort. Your effort is not in vain. When you are trying to please the Lord, your effort is not in vain. If you're trying to please the Lord. If you're trying to please yourself and gaining God's merit... <laughs> you're headed down a path of destruction. That will not help you in your Christian life. God loves you, and if you're saved, He abides in you, and He desires to enter, you have you enter into that rest with Him every day. And listen, through a spirit of unbelief, because you believe not His Word, He can't work in your life. When I get to the place where I say, I just don't know if God's Word is going to hold up, I'm going to go do what I want to do, and not what God's Word says, I want you to know His Word will be fulfilled. Put forth some diligent effort. What does the Bible tell us? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. you got to put forth some effort every day to seek out your Savior. you got to put forth some effort in your Christian life to seek after God. 
Now, as we look at this, your life and the study of His Word, your lifestyle should be of such a nature that it testifies of Christ Jesus, that it draws men unto Him. So put forth that diligent effort to make sure your testimony for Christ really testifies of Him. You say, well, how do you do that, preacher? Put forth some diligent effort. Put forth some diligent effort. (laughs) Show people that you've entered into that rest, that you are not a mess because of the things that are going on around you, but that you want to please your heavenly Father. Now, the Lord wants you to persevere by knowing truth as well. This next verse we know very well. Look at verse 12 with me. How many of you know this verse? Like if you closed your Bible right now, you could say, you know what, preacher, I could, I could quote that verse word for word. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Pastor, I know that verse, okay? God supplies you with the means of accomplishing His will through that verse. He, he gives you what you need to understand, and he tells you how to diligently seek after him. You see, when he tells us this, that we labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, he comes with, for the word of God. When he's telling us to labor to enter into that rest, he says, for the word of God is this. And by the way, he's reminding you of who he is and what the power of his word is capable of doing in your life. And so he brings that to our attention. And our Heavenly Father gives us some very specific facts about His Word and its purpose in our lives. Now, if you look at this, you could read over something and you just know the words. But each of these words have meaning and each of these words mean something. And each of these words that are in this passage tell us something about God. When he says it's quick and powerful, he's telling us this. This is alive and specifically a life of resurrection. It's quick. It's alive. I want you to know this is not any book. This is a book that is alive. Amen? This book teaches you how to live. It wants to be effective and operative and active in your life. And you say, well, how does that occur? How does that happen? That means that you put forth some diligent effort to look into the Word every day. For the Word of God is quick. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is operative. The Word of God is effective. The Word of God is there to help you as a believer in Christ Jesus. He tells us it's powerful. It wants to work in your life. Here's something that has brought resurrection to your life, and it's alive, it's effective, it's operative, and God wants you to use it. For to labor, to enter into that rest, you've got to take the Word of God and use it. It's not just something that sits on the shelf all week long and then you show up for our service on a Sunday morning. God says, listen, we have a relationship here. When you got saved, that relationship's established now. And through that relationship, Christ says, I want you to enter into this rest. How are you going to labor to enter into that rest? For the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive. It's active. It's operative. It works. And God's telling you how to do that. So what we learn is the Word of God is there and it's alive, it's active. For the Bible to be working in your life, you must be working in the Bible. (laughs) you got to be in God's Word. If you want it to be effective in your life, you need to be put forth some effort yourselves. Knowing the Word of God is not doing the Word of God. And you think about it, the Scriptures, to be active and effective, you must know what it says. Too many people are falling prey to counterfeits today. Too many people are falling prey to counterfeits today. If you were to go to the Treasury Department in Washington, D.C., and you go down to the Treasury Department, they bring FBI agents in when they're training them. 
And those FBI agents come over there, and they are experts in counterfeits. But do you know, to become an expert in counterfeits, they never look at a counterfeit. What they do is they bring those FBI agents over to the Treasury Department, and all day long they sit there and they study, let's say, $20 bills is what they're going to be an expert in. And so all day long they sit there and they look at that $20 bill. And they take, a, they take a little magnifying glass and they look at that $20 bill and they, they scope it from top to bottom, left to right, front and back. They know every inch of that $20 bill. They never look at the counterfeit. Too many Christians today are falling prey to looking at the counterfeit and trying to compare it back to God's Word and it's not working. What we need to do is take the Word of God, which is the truth, amen? He said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. This isn't just true. This is truth. It's alive. It's active. It's operative. Amen. It's quick. It's powerful. And God said, listen, you need to know this book. You need to know me. The word is Christ Jesus. Amen. And so he told the Pharisees at one point, you think you know God's word, but it testify of me. He didn't distinguish between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He simply said that the Word of God testifies of him. If you want to know the truth, if you want to be able to identify a counterfeit, you ought to be in the truth. Amen? So those FBI agents look this over and over and over and over and over and over until they have trained their eyes. Now here's what happens. After they go through all their training and everything and they get out into the public eye, that's counterfeit. They can spot it like that. Why? Because they've never looked at one. Sometimes they don't even know why. And I want to tell you something. If you are in the Word of God, if you're in the truth of the Word of God, and you are studying the Word of God, and you're putting the Word of God in you every day, and it's quick and powerful in your life, it's operative, it's effective, it's active in your life. If you're doing that, when a counterfeit comes along, you know it. You may not even know why, but you know it's not right. And by the way, there's a lot of counterfeits on the radio, on the TV, and standing behind pulpits today. And you need to know the truth. As we look into God's Word, He said it's quick, it's powerful. And by the way, God never told you to have your pastor study to show you approved unto God. Amen? It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He never gave the responsibility to me. He gave the responsibility to you. Amen? He gave you the responsibility to study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, to be approved unto God means that you have looked into God's word, and God says and sees those things happening. And he says, you understand that my word is quick and powerful. You understand that this resurrection life that you have will help you to enter into this rest each and every day. This this quick and powerful word that I have given unto you, the word of God, is to be operative in your life. It's to be effective in your life. It's to be active in your life. And for that to happen each and every day, you need to be in the word of God, studying the word of God, knowing the truth of the word of God, putting forth the word of God taking the Word of God and making it active in your Christian life. Each and every day of your life, you need to be in the Word of God. Well, He tells us something. He tells us that when you're insincere, He knows it. He knows it. He knows if you're being insincere. (laughs) And by the way, insincerity will be detected by His Word because it has insight and it reveals 
to man his own ways. And it demonstrates God's ways. He says this about his word. He said it's quick and powerful, and he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharp. Now, we make this statement, it cuts both ways, right? It's talking about a Roman soldier's sword, really a dagger. It was only about this big. But it cut going in and it cut coming out, right? So I want you to know, sometimes when you're putting God's word in, how many of you have had it cut? Huh? Cuts to the core sometimes, doesn't it? It reveals something to us about ourselves. Sometimes when it's coming out of us, it cuts also because it divides sometimes, doesn't it? Me telling someone else the truth. Sometimes they don't like that truth, do they? Now, I want to share something with you about this. When I really got to thinking about it being sharper, you know, <clears throat> I, uh, I had a uh, surgery done. I had a pilonidal cyst. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And it was right on my tailbone. Boy, that was exciting. I'm telling you, I never felt anything so wonderful in my life. <laughs> Every time I'd sit down, man, that thing, it hurt, painful. Man, it was hard to sit. And so I go to a surgeon, and he says, you know, we're going to get in there, and we're going to cut that thing out. And I thought, man, I don't want to be cut on. <laughs> he said, well, you can remain in pain as long as you want. But he said, until we get in there and cut that thing out, you're going to have a problem. And it would keep getting worse, and it get infected, and it would bust, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was just terrible. Just went on and on and on for months, and me not wanting to go do anything about it. Right? And he says, well, just continue on. It'll just keep getting bigger. It'll get worse. He said, it's going to hurt. It's going to get even more painful than it is now. And he says, but if you'll let me get in there, I'll cut that thing out, and then we'll sew that skin together, and we'll make that thing fixed. Finally, I gave in, brother. I said, okay, let's go do this thing, because it got to being painful. After he did that surgery, I was laying on my stomach in the house, and I couldn't roll over on my back, and I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, this was dumb. And as soon as the anesthesia wore off and all that stuff wore off, that thing was hurting. And I said, man, this hurts worse than the cyst did. But as the days progressed, the pain became less and less, and it began to heal. But sometimes God has to go in there and cut something out of our lives. Amen? And it hurts when it happens. And in fact, when it's removed, it can be very painful. But in the process, God says, my word also heals. Amen? So it cuts both ways. (laughs) But I want to tell you that it also heals somebody. Amen? And it can heal your hurting heart. (laughs) And it can heal your soul. But sometimes... He's got to make that cut first. And as I began to look at this, it's piercing. The Word of God penetrates deep into the recesses of the heart and the mind. As you study the Scriptures, it begins to diligently unveil to you who you really are. And so when he says it's piercing, it penetrates. It gets in there deep. That cyst was in my tailbone deep by the time I decided to let them do that. And when they went in and did that thing and they cut that out and then he had to sew the skin together, you know what that means? you got a big portion of your tail end missing now and they're going to sew it together. That's really what that means. So he took a big chunk of meat out and he sewed all this meat back together. It was painful. But I will tell you today, I have no problem with it whatsoever. But it took a cut and it took it out and it took a time of healing. 
And sometimes God digs deep into your life and He penetrates deep into your mind and into your heart and He's trying to cut some things out of your life that are unnecessary, that are unhelpful, that are unnatural, that things that you should not be doing sometimes and He's in there to get it out of your life. And it's painful. It's piercing. It divides or separates. He says soul and spirit. The internal immaterial part of a person that can respond to the Lord and the attitude or the mind and the intent of the heart. And he talks about the joints and the marrow. He says the word goes deep to the bone and to the marrow, that fatty substance in the cavities of the bone in which the blood cells are produced. And it often typifies the idea or vilifies that idea of, of strength. And what he's saying is, is i got to get in there deep sometimes to dig deep into your life, to get rid of some things out of your lives. And that's the Word of God. You say, preacher, how do you enter into that rest? He said, labor to enter into that rest. And he says, for the Word of God. That's what's going to do it. And he talks about it being a discerner. And I want you to understand something. The Bible identifies what is giving you direction and strength in your life as you study the Word. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, God's Word is able to judge what you're thinking. God's Word is able to judge what you're thinking. God's Word is able to judge your attitude about what you're thinking. (laughs) It goes deep into the life of a person who is saved, and it has a purpose. God's purpose is to let you know that the Scriptures will expose what you're doing, and it will expose what you're doing wrong, and it will expose what you're doing right. It will help lead you down that path of doing right and keep you away from doing wrong. And therefore, put forth that diligent effort to make sure that your testimony testifies of Christ. The last thought is this. Be diligent in your ways before Christ. Look at verse 13. He said, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Diligent in your ways before Christ. Well, why? This verse is a great reminder of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And the need for you and I to be mindful of our days and how they are spent in the eyes of Christ. I want you to be reminded that you're going to give an account one day. And when he makes this statement in here and he says, to whom we have to do, he says, guess who you're going to give account to? See, I'm not going to stand before God and give an account to Corey McGuire for what I did. I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give account to God for what I've done. Amen? By the way, there'll be no titles that day. There'll be no uh, Dr. So-and-so or uh, th- there'll not be any, uh, uh, any tags on that. No, no deacon before that. It's going to be Bob Warnick. You're standing before God for what I did in this body with this salvation that He has given unto me. I stand before my Savior. I will not stand before man. I will stand before God. And so be reminded that we must give an account. No matter what your words are to man, God knows you from the inside out. He knows you. And when you look at this, you see if your lives conform to the Word of God, then our word or our account in the the day of judgment, they'll be acceptable to God. And as I thought about this, it's important that you are mindful of your relationship with the Lord. This includes your interactions with others because God does see all. (laughs) Amen? There is nothing hidden from God. Let's go back and look at this verse again. He says in verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. That word manifest means there is nothing you can hide from God. Everything is brought to light. 
Even those things you do in the dark behind closed doors and you think nobody's watching, listening, or knows what you're doing, I want you to understand it is in the eyes of God. It is manifest before Him. You cannot hide it from Him. And God knows what you're doing. And then He knows the intent and the attitude of the heart while you're doing it. With whom we have to do means who you've got to give an account to. You see, your accountability is to the Lord and not to man. Your ways are made manifest or brought to light through that diligent study of the Word. And I think that's what happens in that practical application of the Word, that discipline in the Christian life. What happens is, he says, you can enter into this rest. Labor that you enter into this rest. Do you ever read stuff and it just confuses your mind? Labor that you enter into rest. Amen? Okay. So I'll go down that path. And the idea is this. For the Word of God is what's going to help you accomplish that. And by the way... What you're doing, God sees it. (laughs) Nothing is hidden from the Savior. And so when we say that God sees, God knows. He knows the attitude of our heart. God tells us how we're to conduct ourselves, and He gives us the power through His Son and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to perform it each day. Write these verses down. I won't turn there for the sake of time, but I I just want you to write these two verses down out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 10.23 and Jeremiah 21.8. In Jeremiah 10, 23, he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. Every day you ought to ask God, am I headed in the right direction? <laughs> and I'm not talking about getting in the car and going to some location. I'm talking about the fact of, am I headed in the right direction spiritually, Lord? It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You don't know which way to go. You need to rely on God. He says then in Jeremiah 21, 8, he says, Thus saith the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. God says, I I want you to know I'm in control of all of these things, and I set this before you. So we need to consult with our Savior every day. Listen, everything that you do is manifest in His eyes anyway. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. And as we look at this, your steps, your actions, your daily walk is set before the Lord. And if you're saved, your eternal destination is not in question, but the attitude and the actions of the heart is. It's standing before God daily. Let me give you these verses. In 1 Peter 3.12, he said, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. <laughs> That's comforting, isn't it? The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. The only reason it might not bring comfort is because I'm not trying to live a righteous life. I'm not trying to please God with my life. So therefore, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. <laughs> Now, I'm righteous because of what Christ did on the cross at Calvary for me. Amen? And so I know that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And so what does He see in your life? Is He seeing a life of holiness and righteousness? Psalm 101.6, Mine eyes shall be opened uh, upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. Those that are faithful, God sees you. He knows what's going on in your life. And sometimes we, we shift or we move. We want others to see what we're doing. We want someone else to notice what we've done. We want someone else to pat us on the back. We want someone else to say something to us. We want somebody to see what we're doing. And we're saying, oh God, nobody even knows what I'm doing. And God says, everything you're doing is manifest in my sight. Even the attitude of your heart. Your spirit. He tells us in Proverbs 5.21, he says... For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. 
The ways of man are in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, he knows, he pondereth everywhere you go. He knows what's going on. And then he tells us in Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So he knows all things are manifest before him. All things are in the sight of God. Nothing is hidden from him, including the attitude and the spirit of your heart. It's not hid from God. And he knows. So make sure your testimony for Christ testifies of him. For the Lord knows the thoughts and intents of the heart and nothing is hidden from him. Started off talking about the Cleveland Browns. Amen? If they stay after it, if they stay diligent, what could they accomplish this year? What could be accomplished in that group? And you say there's one prize that they're looking for, one prize that they have their eyes on, one prize that they don't possess yet, right? They got a lot of championships, but no Super Bowl trophy yet. You say, what could happen? If they just stay as diligent as they have during the preseason, stay after it, what can be accomplished? So I challenge you this morning. Are you being diligent in your effort to make sure that your life, your testimony, testifies to Christ? Let's put forth some diligent effort to make sure that He's preeminent, that He's first place in our lives, and that others can see that. Let Him have the trophy. Amen? May we be faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Help us to be diligent, Lord. Diligent in our Christian life, diligent in our study of the Word, diligent in our ways before you, Father. Help us to do what we should to please you each and every day. Lord, discipline is not legalism. Discipline is looking to you and saying, Lord, what pleases you? And we fulfill it because we love you and because you love us. Legalism, Lord, is so self-centered. It's about just holding to the rules, thinking to ourselves, and in our hearts and in our minds, Lord God, I'm the most important person here, and I'm trying to earn your merit. Can you not see what I'm doing? And so, Father, let us change our thinking. Let us change our hearts. Let us change our spirit and our attitude, that the attitude of our heart is one that's diligent in our ways before Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's quietly stand to our feet. You're here today, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt. You say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. I've trusted Him to take my soul to heaven when I die. I have no doubt about it. Heaven is my home. Would you hold your hand up real high? I know heaven is my home. Amen. You can put your hands down. Show of hands. We've got a room full of saved people, and I praise the Lord for that. Now, the challenge is this. Do you understand that your ways are set before God? And you say, Pastor, you know, I want to be that faithful person. I want to be that faithful individual. I don't want to be a vain person. I don't want to be empty in my ways. I want to make sure that I'm diligent in my Christian life. I want to be diligent in my studies of the Word of God. And in my ways before my Savior, I want to be diligent in that. Pastor, would you pray for me this morning that God would help me in that area of my life just to, just to be diligent and put forth that diligent effort for His name's sake? Would you just slip your hand up real high and let me see Him? Amen. 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 Listen. Amen. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Mrs. Fisher is going to begin to play. Would you just take a moment, those of you that raise your hands, even if you can't kneel at the altar, 
Maybe just come up to this front row for just a moment. Just spend a few minutes with the Lord and say, Lord, help me in my effort. Help me to be diligent in my effort. Help me to do what I need to do to please you, Lord, because I love you. You come right now as the Lord leads. You come. Alrighty, look this way. So good to have you here this morning. We're going back this evening. If you go read Jeremiah chapter 10, 